Hello, and welcome to episode 160 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Andrew Gildy, writer of Man of Sin and the upcoming Forgotten Hymns, launching on Kickstarter November 10th, 2020. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Andrew, uh, thanks uh, so much for, for joining us. Uh, before we start talking about these books, how about if you could give us a quick bio about yourself? Yeah, first off, guys, thanks for thanks for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to sit here and talk with you guys. I love uh, talking about comics and just happens to be my comics of science, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I'm from uh, Chicago. I'm a writer and creator. Uh, out here, I uh, created the uh, horror comic uh, Man of Sin. Uh, Man of Sin, uh, the journey is really long, but uh, uh, it's going to be, I, I kickstarted uh, the first issue, got picked up by Insane Comics. Back in 2018, they went under, we kickstarted the whole graphic novel, and now we're going to Marcosia, um, probably 2021, early 2021. They don't have a date yet. So um, uh, I'm in a, I've been in a couple of anthologies. Most recently, I'm in the uh, uh, Nightmare Theater horror anthology that's on Kickstarter right now. Um, I'm, I have a short story called The Cricket Man that I did with uh, a really talented artist from Ireland. Her name is Donna Black. Uh, it's, it's really, really cool. So I was really an honor to, uh, to be a part of that and to work with her. And uh, besides that, besides creating comics, I'm, a, uh, I'm an English teacher by trade and I'm a wrestling coach. And uh, those worlds really don't always mix together, but somehow <laughs> I found myself in that weird crosshair. So yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's very, awesome. Very cool. So was Man of Sin your first sort of foray into to graphic novels and, and you know comic book storytelling? Uh, I did a couple short stories before that, but that was my first uh, my first series I did. Yeah. And uh, you you said that you kickstarted uh, sort of the the first issue. There was some sort of you know business dealings that didn't work out, and then you sort of uh, you kickstarted the the whole graphic novel. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, I didn't even know Kickstarter existed. So me and Camilo Pons, that's the artist that was attached to this. Uh, Camilo, if you, if you find this or listening to this, you're awesome. You're, you're, you're amazing. I love working with you. And uh, so we, we put the, we finished the entire first issue um, together. And then I, I put a pitch together and sent it out to everyone. And uh, I got rejection letters from pretty much everyone. Um, but I actually got a really nice rejection letter from one, uh, a, a bigger publisher. Um, that the editor actually replied back to me. He was like, hey, I really love the book. The book's awesome, but it's just not for us. Why don't you go to Kickstarter if no one will fix this up? And I'm like, what the hell is Kickstarter? So I started doing my homework, you know, um, started looking into it and all that, all that stuff. And so I went and kickstarted the first issue of um, Man of Sin to, for a print run that was successful back in 2016. A couple years um, Long story short, um, another publisher called Insane Comics was, was kind of gaining some traction back in like 2015, 16, 17 uh, in the indie comic scene. They picked it up. We released the first two issues with them in 2018 in January and February. And then right before uh, issue three was supposed to come out, they closed their doors. They're uh-huh. like, we, um, you know, we're, we're, we just can't do this anymore. Um, and so, which is, they had a really interesting business model. They didn't want to go to Diamond. They didn't like the cut for diamond. So they were sending like their own like preview magazine to comic shops. And what's I think interesting is now post COVID that's what people are doing. 
So like they were like three or four years ahead of the curve that mm -hmm. if they were able to like stick it out, they would have already had like a good inroad with uh, a lot of comic shops, but neither here nor there. They shut their door and me and Camilla were talking back and forth. Like, what do we do with the series? I don't know. And then we were just like getting, like I was getting messages all the time from fans like, hey, what's going on with this thing? Like, are you guys going to finish it? What are you going to do? And so we decided, hey, let's go back to Kickstarter, kickstart the, the graphic novel. We have most of it done. Let's just finish the shoot series and get it out. And so we, we put it out for, for everyone in uh, 2019 on Kickstarter. It was successful. Uh, you know, we did, you know, we did the fulfillment. Everyone's got their books. We, you know, uh, super excited for that. And then uh, recently we signed a deal with uh, Marcosia to kind of send the distribution kind of worldwide and get to a bigger audience. And, you know, we were able to. So that's kind of the man of sin story in a nutshell. It's very long and convoluted and a lot of twists and turns. But it's uh, like any good story, uh, you know, that you were you were faced with conflict, but you, uh, you know, each step of the turn, you, uh, you you sort of leveled up and at the end you uh, you succeeded. So almost, uh, you know, what you do in your day job teaching story uh, relates uh, there as well. So were you pitching yeah. it? Were you pitching it as like a pitch package um, at first, like five pages or did you have a whole like first issue when you were pitching it? the very first one, I just had the pitch package. It was the first five pages. Mm -hmm. And then um, once that fell on deaf ears, um, we had absolutely no traction with that. Um, we finished the entire series because um, I believed in it that much. And so did Camilo. He was like, he was really, um, he was really on board, um, uh, you know, with the series. And uh, then once I had the whole first issue, then I resent it out. To a bunch of different publishers and at that time that was like a, maybe a year later um so there were some more publishers that were accepting pitches or some had fallen off some had pop, some popped up um and some i didn't reach out to yet because uh, i didn't think we were we were um like I, I just didn't think we were we were in that league yet but mm -hmm. once we had a full once we had a full comic and i was confident it was lettered um you know i actually had something i could show people um then I then I sent it out to everyone, and that's when I got one reply back. Nice. And so, how did you find uh, how did you find the artist on Man of Sin? Oh man, that's a that's a whole another convoluted story. Uh, he's actually the third artist okay. that was attached to Man of Sin. Um, the first artist I had ghosted me. Um, wow. I, yeah. So I, I paid him. And then he said he got um, some big work with, with some company, whether or not he did, I have no idea. And then he just kept putting me on the back burner, put me on the back burner. And then that was just the end of it. And finally, I was just sent him an email like, all right, man, thanks, whatever. Like it just, I, I forget what it was. I tried to be cordial and professional, um, you know, and that was the end of it. And I, you know, you know, five years later, you know, maybe six years later, I'm in the comic book scene, you know, scene. I don't know where he is. So it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um so then I got another artist who did uh the first six pages and um it was a completely different style um he um he, he did really good work but it was way way different it was a lot more cartoony the feel of Man of Sin uh, would have been completely different and I was still you know at that stage of my creative career I really I didn't understand how important art is to a story like the 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 art needs to match the tone of the story and at that point in my career i was just working with anyone who would say yes to me 
Um, because one of the biggest hurdles a lot of writers face is like how, especially in comics, is like, how am I going to get this drawn? Like, if you don't have a bunch of like a big budget, you're, you're kind of really limited to, um, you know, your, your sales pitch, your network, your, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so I was, you know, those, those first two were lessons um, in learning what your book needs and not settling for the first person that says yes. But the, the second artist that was on, um, he did a great job. I have no complaints with him. He pretty much just told me like, hey, unless this gets picked up by a publisher, like I can't work on this anymore. Like I have to feed my family. And he went and got a graphic design job. And I don't blame him for that. Like that's just, it is what it is. And so I believed in the story. And so I um, did one last kind of, um, you know, blast on all the message boards. That's when the message boards were really big, like Pencil Jack and Digital Webbing and a, a couple others. Um, and I, I got a lot of really good, um, a lot of really good artists who said they, you know, they wanted to work on this project. And the one artist happened to be Camilo. And I was actually a, a fan of his. I was already following his work. Um, and I, I knew of him. Uh, he was so like, I still do this today, um, but at the time I only did it on DeviantArt, um, but I do it more on Instagram now where I would just follow artists because I like artwork. Like, I, I, think, I think artists are awesome. Like, I wish I could do what they do. I like looking at awesome, awesome art. And he was one person I was following and he happened to be like, man, this is right up my alley. Like, please let me work on this. And uh, we started talking about which direction we wanted to go with this. And he just, he understood the story um, almost in a way, like almost in a way that I wasn't even able to prepare. Like he understood it in a way that I wasn't even conveying on the, on the, on like my, my pitch. Like he just kind of understood where I wanted to go with it, which was really cool. When, once we started like sending emails back and forth. And so I knew right away it was, uh, would be a really good fit. And then plus his art kind of, kind of makes Man of Sin what it is. It's, uh, you know, a super unique comic. I, I, very few things. I don't know anything really looks like it uh, in the market right now. And uh, that's all because of him. And, you know, it, it really taught me you really need to pay attention when you're a writer and, uh, a writer and you're looking for someone to, to make your books. Make sure it's the right fit because it's going gonna, it's gonna to completely change your story. Um, and so that was, that was kind of how that whole that whole finding Camillo thing happen. That's very cool. And would you mind going into sort of like, what, what were the inspirations behind Man of Sin? And it's, it seems like, you know, you, you sort of have a, a type of book that you like to write. It's sort of like the religious horror, um, sort of what draws you to that, um, to those, that, that subject material. Yeah. Um, well, horror in general has been in my household since I was a kid. It was, it's my mom's favorite genre. Like I remember watching like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with her when I was a kid. And I have no, as a parent, I'm like, why were you letting me watch this? I don't know. I don't understand this. Uh, and like Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt. And like, it was always, um, my mom was a big horror fan. So that was like a big influence just right away uh, on me. Um, and like, I remember... <laughs> I remember in, in like the third or fourth grade, I, I forget which, it was young, elementary school. There was like, you had to read a book and then like give like a book report on it. And I was asking my mom like what book to read. And so she was like, oh, let's, let's read um, uh, the, uh, 
Charles Dexter Ward from H.P. Lovecraft. And not, o- not only could I not read that because the vocabulary is just like, so she read like way off the charts for a third grader or fourth grader or even a 12th grader. Like it's just like super dense. Uh, so she read it to me and I, I, I don't remember, um, I don't remember my, my book report. I just remember everyone looking at me <laughs> like, like, why is, like, I just remember, like, why is this third grader talking about, like, where's, the, like, the, the scholastic books, or whatever, like, the highlights, like, whatever third graders read, like, with the Bernstein books, like, why is he talking about this, like, creepy ghost stuff, so that's kind of the origin of, like, um, why I'm drawn to horror, um, and I actually, as a writer, I really fought for a long time with myself, on whether or not I wanted to be a horror writer. Cause I have all these other stories like sci-fi or drama or this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I, I just come, I, I just came to a realization that I'm going to kind of really focus in on this niche for a while and do the best I can in this genre before I venture out into others. So like I'm, I'm taking the, the surgeon approach rather than the shotgun approach, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, oh, go on. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, it sounds like, you know, you're sort of just letting that phase of your life guide you where you want it, you, where you want it to guide you, basically. And that's, that's really great. Yeah, thank you. Um, but speaking of Madison specifically, um, so a, a lot, of, there was like, there was two kind of events that coincided kind of, uh, well, three events, but I'm going to lump two of them together that kind of okay. coincided with each other that kind of was the seed of, uh, of Man of Sin. The first one was um, my stepfather and my grandfather both died of cancer like six months apart from each other. Oh man. And so it's totally, I, thank you, but I, it's, it's totally cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's all good. I don't want to get like morbid, but uh, it's been a while. It's all, it's all good. Uh, and um, I, I really saw how my family had to cope with that that tragedy and that loss um and it was it was just really interesting to kind of not only be in it myself but try to remove myself um from it and kind of objectively look at what's going on like um how they were both two really big parts of our family but depending on where you were to that like to my grandfather or my stepfather relationship wise you grieve differently and that was really interesting to me just from an observation standpoint of someone kind of going through it and so while that was happening and that was just in my head floating around and while that was happening um i happened to one night it was late at night i'll be wa- i was watching the uh the history channel one of those like really cheesy like documentaries and it was on uh the antichrist and I remember watching watching it and going, you know, all of these guys, these experts are talking about how this guy is going to be like a 35-year-old white guy who has all these designs to destroy the world and he's going to do it through politics and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, basically what you, can, you, what you would think the Antichrist would be. He'd be like, you know, some guy wearing a suit and he's in politics or Wall Street, and yada, 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 and he's going to try to bring us down. Um, And I just was like, you know, growing up, um, you know, in a Roman Catholic family and and knowing the story of Jesus, which is the inverse, right? Christ, he's the inverse of the Antichrist. 
I didn't think that rang true. I think, um, I, you know, my immediate thought was it would pro- if there was an antichrist, he would be a normal guy like Jesus was and wouldn't, he would just go through his normal life and then figure it out late. Like he'd just be a normal guy. So my question really what, what, what sparked it was what would make a normal person want to destroy the world? Cause essentially that's what it is like. Hmm. And so my going on like the inverse of, of Christ theory, I said, if Christ died for us to live, the antichrist would have to live for all of us to die. And so that was kind of the, the original seeds that was swirling around in my head. And then once I connected it, kind of the antichrist angle to the tragedy and the trauma, I realized what I had there was um, when you go through a trauma or, or, or something horrific in your life, you, you could either let it consume you and destroy your world, right? Much like the Antichrist would, right? Or you could move on from it and, um, and become, you know, become better and learn from it. And so I kind of took those two things and married them together. And that's kind of how man of sin came about that was very long uh, hopefully it made sense no matt and i always say it's always good to have an uh have a guest on that rambles it makes our jobs a lot easier we don't have to think of questions or worry about how we word them we're just like yep go for it yeah we like we like to set we like to set you up and let you let you go and yeah, and, and then we'll steer it back when, when we need to um but i, I want to talk a little bit more about man of sin so you sort of have these two ideas um, that you married together to, 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 to give you sort of the, the, the story. Um, I, I'm assuming with the way you described it, you kind of knew how you wanted the story to end. Um, so at that point, are you looking to outline it and figure out like, where's a good point for like issue one to sort of stop with like a cliffhanger and sort of think of it? Did you always uh, envision it in like so many issues or, or, or what? Uh, how, how did that work? And that's a great question. Um, so I, I knew, so I, I had actually, I had the, the middle of the second act in my head done. Um, and I knew the ending, I knew what the ending had to be. Um, how I got there, I didn't know yet. So, um, so I am, you know, I'm an English teacher, but I have an undergrad in creative writing with a concentration in screenplay, screenplay. And so um, I pretty much st- structured my my story, how, you know, you would outline a script. Um, and there's, um, so I, I kind of had those two posts, right? I had my, 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 my big kind of middle climax and I had the end. And so I had to figure out kind of the beginning chunk, who this guy was, how are we going to care for him and all that? And so um, this man of sin, I outlined pretty heavily from um, a character standpoint, um, first off. So I, I really dug into who our main character, Damien, is. I, I really wanted um, his arc from when you're reading it. 
I really wanted to make sure that I was hitting um, all of my screenwriting beats that I, I knew, right? Um, I wanted to make sure I was hitting all of those. Um, I needed to make sure um, I, you know, one of the tricky things when you're dealing with this, like any bad character, like Walter, like any, any anti-hero, like Walter White, or he's probably the most famous right now. Um, I can't think of any other one off the top of my head. But anytime you have a, 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 a this character who's, who's bad or doing bad things, it's like the trick is how do you get the audience to care for them, right? And, and so I did a lot of just messing around in my outline stages with all of that stuff. And actually, um, I apparently this has become part of my process because I've done it twice now in both of these series. I'll write a complete first script from the outline and I'll start writing the second script realize that I messed something up and scrap them both and then start again with a completely new one. And I did that with Man of Sin and I did that with Forgotten Hymns just now. Um, and I have no idea why I do that because I, I tried to make my life easy, but whatever it is, like midway through with like page 16 in, in issue two, I'm like, oh, uh, this is all wrong. I gotta redo it. And then um, I go back to issue one, kind of tear it down. Um, and I think that's, if, if I had to put a finger on it, I think that is probably one of the problems with overly outlining is that you kind of are too rigid and you don't let the characters breathe and you don't know what the story is yet. And so then when you get to a point where you've written enough to that you finally know the characters in the story that they're in, you realize some of the things that you hit at the beginning or you thought you were you needed to do in the beginning, you either need to change or go in a different direction. And so um, I've just come to accept that that's my process as long as it's going to be. I hope that answered your question. No, it did. And I think it's another thing that we've kind of talked about a few times with other folks is I think there's like a Neil Gaiman saying that like the first, you gotta write a, you gotta write a crappy first draft to, to be able to write that, that second draft. So it seems like for your process, you might have one to two sort of, you know, drafts that are just for you to sort of work everything out. And by the time you get to the third, you might be at a point where you can sort of share it with others to see if you're sort of, you know, maybe if you have a couple of trusted beta readers, that's at the point where, you know, that third draft is the point where maybe, you're, or you're sharing it with the with the artist or, or what what have you. Yeah, it's um, my, my normal writing process. Um, I, I say 90% of the writing, my writing, uh, I do in my, my head, if that makes sense any sense at all. So um, what I do is I spend a lot of time uh, constructing this imaginary world and the characters in my head. Um, and what I do pretty much every night before I go to bed is I lay down in bed and I just make believe. I, I pretend I, I daydream. Um, that's the only quiet time I have. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll do it um, if the rare occasion I could do it uh, at my house, just laying, you know, just laying on the couch or something, but very rarely. Um, it's very hard with a, with a one-year-old. She's, she's, <laughs> she's a, uh, but, uh, and so what I'm doing in that, where, where I'm, where I'm just sitting and, and thinking is I'm constructing, uh, I'm constructing the mental landscape, almost, um, uh, almost like, uh, Minecraft, if you will. Um, and what I'm trying to do in that, in that is I want to just hit play on the movie in my head 
And then once, once I could hit play and it makes sense as I'm watching it as the first, that's, you know, as the first person watching and the only person watching the movie, um, at least I hope I'm the only person watching that movie. Uh, um, once that makes sense and it feels like a, a cohesive story, then I write it, I, I write it down. So however long it takes, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, then I, um, I usually go into my phone, into my notes, and I try to capture that to the best of my ability. And then the next morning I take my notes and I take a, yellow, a like a legal pad or a notebook, and then I write it out longhand, like a, like a, almost like prose. Mm -hmm. And so I write almost like the whole first issue in prose or that issue in prose. And then from there, I take that prose and I take another sheet of paper and I number it one through 22 or one through however many. And I just write one to couple sentences of what I want on each page. And then from there, um, I might go back to the notepad and kind of start actually writing out like panel one, da, 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 da. But it's really loose um, uh, until I start getting a sense of Whatever I imagine, and I feel like a lot of writers are like this, whatever you imagine in your head, a story is going to be, it's really nebulous. Even when I'm hitting play in my, the movie in my head, it's really nebulous, right? Like it's this weird, like it's more of a feeling mm -hmm. than anything. And then when you start putting it down in, uh, physically, uh, uh, tangibly uh, on the paper or in the, in the computer, uh, it starts to become more real. Like it's, it's, you know, in the physical world now. And it never matches that. Like this always sucks way more than that. Like it, that, that feeling, it's really hard to connect at times. And I think that's where a lot of writers get stuck in, where a lot of writers feel like, oh, like I have writer's block or I suck because you have this idea. And it's not really an idea, it's more of a feeling. And what you're getting on the page doesn't match that feeling. And so all of these little steps help me mitigate that feeling of disconnect that you have. And so by the time I actually start scripting on the computer, I'll probably have, you know, four or five somewhat different types of drafts. Like I'm sure I have a, I have a bin full of old notebooks in my office and I'm sure if anyone opened them up, they would think it was a madman because it's like the same thing written for like 70 pages. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, I, I, I like doing those early outline drafts um, in the notebook and by hand because it feels like it's less pressure than when I start typing it because when I type it I have to eventually send that to someone when I'm just doing it in my notebook I don't have to worry about grammar or spelling or my handwriting it's just for me and so there's a there's a nice psychological freedom that that gives and so by the time I start scripting it I've gone through probably you know like like Matt said a, a couple a couple drafts already and then for whatever reason, as I'm actually writing it then, like actually putting, you know, all right, I'm going to send this to someone. I get to a certain point where I'm like, all right, all of that was, this is, let's just tear this house down. This all sucks too. And usually once I get to that point, I could, I don't have to go back to the notebooks. Mm -hmm. I just, I use them a lot, uh, a lot uh, sparingly. Like I don't use them as much. Um, and then I, I could just kind of just hit the ground running. Cause I know at that point, I've, I've done enough work that I could just hit plan the movie and everything kind of starts coming together. I, I have all the pieces now. I might've put them in the wrong spots or didn't, you know, compile them the right way. So once I tear it down that last time and build it back up, it, you know, I usually can go from there. 
That is, that's, yeah, that was a really cool insight to uh, your, your creative process. And I might have to steal a few of those, those ideas. These are my uh, favorite like, interviews though, is when like the guys get really into deep into their process and things. Like I love hearing just like, I like tactile things. So I love that you say you write it down on legal pads and things like that, or, you know, use your, your, your notes app and your phone and things like that's, it's just cool yeah. to hear everyone. No, no one's, no one's process is the same. And I love that. It's, it's really great. And there's almost like an artistry to it. And I, I love it when writers feel like they can talk about it, like it's an artistry. So that that's really awesome. I was getting yelled at from my, from my wife. So I tried to go in a different room and apparently she has that room. So I'm going to go back to where I was. Oh. So <laughs> no, no worries. Um, uh, no, uh, but no, you know, um, I didn't mean to cut you off, Matt, but, um, Oh no, I was done. Yeah. I was done. Saying uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of, a lot of writers, they don't, a lot of writers like to talk about their writing process, but they don't, number one, they don't get, uh, they don't get a lot of opportunities to do so. Cause it's like, who wants to hear about how the hell I, you know, write shitty writing. Um, so I, I think, I think that's, you know, just getting an opportunity is really nice. And then also, I think it's really important, no matter where you are in your career, to talk about your writing process. Because like Matt said, he's like, hey, I might feel something. You might pick something up that you didn't ever think of. You didn't know would work for you. And you could try it out and see um, if it works for you. And that's one. And then it's also really important because I think there's so many people that want to create but are afraid to. Hmm. and it's because of that writing process or the or the artist process right like I have no idea how to how to draw but I'm sure it's very similar there's like certain things that you probably do that others don't and when you're when you're trying to make that leap from thinking about doing something to actually doing it the hardest part is if you're going to do it if are you doing it the right way is this the correct way because I, I I'm just trying to think back and it's like I'm sure there are people out there, you know, that's why like, you know, how-to books and all that stuff are, are so popular because people want to know, you know, if they're doing it the right way. And what I think is really important is, you know, when you start discussing your process, it's different for everyone. So whatever works for you, you know, let it work for you. And two, half the fun of those early stages of your career where you have no idea what's going on is figuring that out. Like, I just didn't wake up one day and I was like, I'm going to go lay in bed and think about this stuff. Then I'm going to go grab my phone. Like, it wasn't like planned out. Like, uh, I'm, you know, 34. No, it took 34 years to develop this. And I'm still adding and subtracting to that process as we go. And, mm. you know, it's, I just think it's a, a really important that, that people kind of hear this wherever they are. Um, you know, that, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do or how you do it. It's that you get the work done. Yeah. That's awesome. That was a really long tangent. No, no, no. It was, it was Which great. Another great thing about you is that sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll you know, you, the nice thing about you is that you don't always have to ask a question to sort of start the conversation going. And that's really great. So I'm glad that we were able to build off of a thought. That's sort of what I love. I love when we get to down to the philosophical aspects of creating comics. It's, it's always awesome. So um, after we talked a little bit about Man of Sin and the process here, um, you had mentioned that you have, uh, is it, it's the Cricket Man, is that correct? Uh, the short and the anthology? Um, what was the process yeah. of um, 
having to work in sort of a, a smaller sort of, uh, you know, page rate, you know, you, you've been, you, you know, the first book you told was, you know, told over multiple pages, multiple issues, but here I'm assuming you, 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 you know, you, they were told you that it had to be, you know, within this certain page rate. So now you're doing something much shorter. How did you handle that? Oh man, it's short, short comic stories are really, really difficult. Um, I would, I would suggest if anyone wants to make comics, they start with shorts because they're more difficult to do, uh, do well mm -hmm. than, than long form. Like long form, you have, you have more time to develop characters and, and there's pacing things and it, it comes with its own problems. But um, so the, the Cricket Man is, is only eight, um, only eight pages and it's kind of a, a bigger one. Excuse me. Um, it's kind of a, 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 a larger short, I don't know how um, many pages everyone is, but eight pages was, was the maximum for this anthology. Um, so we were able to get the maximum uh, page uh, number. And um, one of the biggest kind of hurdles when you're working with a short story is you need to, you know, come up with characters, give them a problem, or, you know, set them in a world, give them a problem, make it satisfying, and have a re resolution and you have only eight pages. So you have to get, you know, you have to be really economical with your pages. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think, you know, I, I was able to work with, um, with Donna Black, who's a, a really, really amazing artist. And I think she did, a, you know, her art. Um, yeah. did, I, did I send you guys her art? Um, I think we have previews. What we have is, I believe, we just have previews for the the, the forgotten hymns. But um, we'll... I'll, I'll send it. I'll send it to you guys. Um, I'm excited then. So be awesome. Yeah, uh, her artwork is is really the only one I could compare her artwork to. It's really really unique. It's like um, almost like uh, Dave McKean. I think that's his name. Who did oh, yeah. Asylum? Mm -hmm. um, that's the closest person I could um describe her work as like it's very it's kind of watercolory-esque there's like almost like uh like actual photos but not in it like it's really really unique it's really creepy it's kind of got uh like a silent hill resident evil like four vibe if i could go into the video game realm um so she does really nice nice work and so i had to um i had to I was really lucky that I was able to to work with her because just her style alone kind of fits horror. Right? She's a horror. She, she likes the the genre as well. So it was, um, yeah, it was um, it was great. I don't hope I answered your question, man. You did. Um, and were you able to were you able to sort of reach out to Donna, or were you guys paired up by the uh, the the creators of the anthology? Oh man, that's a really good question. I. I uh, so uh, the the critics of the anthology reached out to me and asked if I wanted to come on and contribute a story. They knew I was in, uh, a writer in the horror kind of genre. And they were like, hey, do you want to be a part of this? And I was like, yeah, I, I'd love to be a part of this. Um, they're like, okay, the, you have a script, you know, your finished pages and everything are due in like, I don't know, however many weeks, like September or something. And this was maybe in July. Um, and I was like, okay. Because I, I think before they asked me, they had um, like teams and everything all, all situated and some people backed out, some people they turned down, whatever it was, they ended up reaching out to me, which I'm super, super thankful and grateful that they even considered me. Um, 
And so they, they, uh, they reached out to me and I was like, all right, I, um, I got to figure this out. So before that happened, um, I was very much like my story with Camilo. Um, I, I follow artists. And so I was a fan of Donna's um, for a while now. Um, obviously, I like horror art. And I, I, um, I follow a bunch of artists. I just, you know, like I said with Camilo, I like that stuff. So I was a fan of her. I knew of her work. Um, she has a comic um, called uh, Salt of the Sea, I believe, or Soul of the Sea, Soul of the Sea, um, which is a, a nice little horror. It's a, a nice horror comic um, that she, she was on. And uh, so I was a fan of hers. Um, I knew about her. And so I was doing the fulfillment for uh, Man of Sin. And I'm scrolling through, like, you know, doing the fulfillment side. And all of a sudden, I see this name and it says Donna Black. And I'm like, what the heck? And so I put two and two together that she was a fan of me. And like, we had never talked before. And so, um, and she, she had, uh, um, once I did the fulfillment, she, you know, said some of really, some really nice words about Man of Sin, and we had a kind of a quick kind of back and forth on Twitter, and that was it for a while. So then when they, I knew I wanted to work with her, but I had no, there was no story in mind, going back to my original kind of, um, uh, you know, my original thought with, with um, Man of Sin is that you got to find an artist that's right for the story. Well, I don't have any story for Donna. Like, I, I just didn't have anything for her, so I wasn't going to approach her if she wanted to do something. Um, and so when they approached me to do this short, I was like, oh yeah, I'll do it with Donna. I'll reach out to her. So I just reached out to Donna. Um, and I, you know, I asked her if she wanted to work with me on a short story for this anthology. We went back and forth and she was like, sure. And so I still had no story. There was absolutely, I had nothing. Um, and so we had a, a quick little conversation. I just asked her, I was like, what type of horror do you like? What do you like drawing? what kind of what's going to get you excited um and then she kind of you know she really likes psychological horror really likes you know she doesn't really like monsters she likes more like silent hill stuff and we kind of went back and forth and uh, i had a good idea after our conversation of the type of horror she liked and so i came up with uh uh like four or five pitches or like one paragraph pitches of what the story could be and i said whichever one you want to do I will write a script for you for that. And one of them happened to be Cricket Man. And where the Cricket Man came from, uh, this is actually, it's actually a story I've had um, in my head since I was a kid. Um, I used to go up to the Northwoods in Wisconsin every summer on vacation. And for whatever reason, and we didn't do this often, for whatever reason, one of the, one of the times we were up there, there was a big campfire and everyone at the resort was down there and then people were taking turns telling ghost stories and one of the dads told the story and I don't remember the story at all but what it was about was it was about these kids who would litter in the woods and then when they would go back to their cabin they would hear crickets and then they would go missing and so like I remember just I just remember and there, there was like creepier stuff. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was young. So who knows how good the story was. But I just remember walking home from the campfire and laying in bed and I heard crickets and scared the <laughs> shit out of me. <laughs> and so I wrote my, my pitch version, my version of that story. And that was the one. And that was the one that, um, if, I, if I was going to be honest, I knew that was the strongest one. Like when, when I was asked to be honest, I was already kind of thinking 
of doing something like that. That was where my mind gravitated towards anyway, since it was in my head for so long, mm-hmm. um, wanting to do some version of that, my version of that. Um, and so I, you know, a bunch of patients, it's true. Like I want to do the cricket man, number one, and then whatever these other two, a few, you know, second and third. And I was like, all right, cricket man it is. And I, the script process was very similar to what I talked about, except I, I only did one, one version of the script. I didn't tear it down. It was only eight okay. pages. So usually I get to issue two, page 16 before I rip it down. So <laughs> if it was longer, I would have ripped it down. Yeah, while you were talking, I, I jumped over to, to the Kickstarter page and I found the the image that she drew. And I think that one thing that's really cool is um, one thing that's always sort of stuck with me is sort of the, the cover image of Man of Sin. And then I look at this image, what's there's almost sort of a continuity of the, of the way the, the the styles look the 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 art on man of sin and just this this art that i can see here i can see a connection so even with you sort of telling horror stories and starting off you know feeling uh you know in this uh, this this line of you know storytelling you almost have like a match with with two different artists that the art style is, is pretty close as well so that's pretty cool yeah thank you i uh I didn't know I was doing that, but you're someone else in the anthology mentioned that to me as well. Like, hey, you know, like these are pretty similar. Like, this is kind of what you do, man. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, well, I got a style I like, whatever. Like, I'll just roll with it. Like, it wasn't on purpose, but I, I completely agree with you. Uh, especially like the watercolors, right? Mm-hmm. And just the shadows and the, and the tone of, um, I, I think what Donna does really, really well and Camilo does as, uh, um, as well, is that they use color um, to establish uh, the mood and tone, mm-hmm. right? And I, I've, I've talked about this before. Um, when you're doing horror comics, and I think it's really important, horror specifically, uh, in, in, in film, there, you know, most of the scares or the tension that is created is usually from what's called non-diegetic sound. And that's the sound that the audience hears that's outside of the story world, right? The overtures or whatever. And it's like, you know, whatever that sound is, right? The Jaws theme, you know, something's gonna happen. And then there's something pops out and it scares you, right? The jump scares. In comics, we don't have that luxury, right? And there's nothing that any artist can draw that can scare you into a point to that jump scare. Ah, this is scary, right? Especially now in 2020, we're all pretty desensitized. There are images that can disturb you. There are images that can make you feel disgusted. There are images that are unsettling, but it's not gonna scare you like, ah. So how can we get that? Well, it's really hard to get that, but what we can do is make you feel very uneasy and make you feel like there's things you gotta, you know, we can do the psychological horror stuff, which I like anyways. And so how do we do that? We do that with color, right? Depending on the color that's on the page, right? It's going to trigger different things to the viewer psychologically. And so me and Camillo had a lot of talks about what we wanted to do um, with our color palette and Camillo, to his credit, did a lot of things on his own just based on our conversations on how I wanted it to feel. And I think Donna does that kind of very similar using colors to kind of um, match the mood and the tone that we needed for the book. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, I completely agree with you that it's, they're very similar styles. 
Very cool. So Noah, before we go into the to the, the lost hymns, do you have any other questions on the cricket man or or man of sin? I was actually going to lead off into uh, into the the lead off question I had into the into the new project of lost hymns uh, was because you brought up like Dave McKean and having this sort of artistic continuity. And on this new project, you were able to get Ben Templesmith to contribute to the book. And uh, I thought that was, um, that might be a good segue into to the new book, but how did you get, um, how did you get Ben Templesmith uh, interested in doing this project? Uh, the, the very simple answer is I just, I just asked him very politely, oh, yeah. <laughs> very kind, very kind flowery words. Um, I, you know, um, I had met Ben a couple of times at C2E2 and I don't ever expect him to remember me from the hundreds of thousands of faces he, he's met and hands he's shaken. Um, but I, I've met him a couple of times and for the Man of Sin Kickstarter, when we kickstarted the graphic novel. So uh, going backwards just a little bit, I actually gave him, uh, when I was at C2E2 in 2018 at the publisher's booth when, um, when it was published through Insane Comics, um, I, you know, I live in Chicago, so they were there um, at C2E2 at a publisher's booth. And like, hey, you know, you're a local guy. Why don't you come here and sign some of your books? I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's a dream of mine. That's awesome for sure. And so um, I was like, I'm a huge Ben Templesmith fan. Um, and so I was like, there's one person um, I really want to just talk to and give my book to. So I walked over to Ben's booth and I handed him issue one and two of Man of Sin. And uh, before, you know, we had a nice conversation. And before I walked away, he's like, hey, man, you got to sign these for me. He's like, you can't give me a book without signing them. So he asked for my autograph, which was like, blew my mind, like as a fanboy. Um, so uh, I I signed the books and then I really regretted not, you know, asking for a commission or, you know, some sort of art for him or maybe to do something for Man of Sin because I thought it would be great. And then when I did the Kickstarter for the graphic novel of Man of Sin, I really wanted a... Uh, a cover from him but I never pulled the trigger like I was just really afraid to reach out to him cold and so for this um series I was like I'm just going to reach out to him you know what's the worst that could happen he says no I'm still going to be a fan of his like I just didn't hmm. want to have it and so I just reached out to him he was super nice uh, like the the one of the nicest guys I've 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 dealt with um, he gave me like a lot of really good tips. Like he gave me like a couple like uh, really good printers to, to look into and try out. And he gave me some, just some, some general pointers on, you know, the, the business side of it really quick. It wasn't like I was asking for him. It's like, Oh, you should do this or that or whatever, whatever. Um, so that was really nice. And uh, he came up, he kind of told me, um, or he asked me like, all right, what are you thinking for this cover? And I, I kind of told him generally what I was thinking. And he came up with two, um, kind of mocks and uh, they were both great but the one that I ended up going with uh, was basically what I had in my head that I wanted him to do but just a thousand times better if that makes sense it's exactly what I wanted but better that's awesome that's really cool yeah he's one of my favorites too um, I actually have a print of his right next to my desk and um, only got to meet him twice but every time it's very memorable and uh, he's just an inspiring artist He's awesome. I love him. He's a, he's a great, great dude. My, my pipe, you know, one day in a perfect world, we would write the series together. 
I, I'll take a one. I'll take a short. Like I'll take. I'll take one page. One page. That's it. That's a win. I'll take one. Yeah. Total so, um, so who's the art team on on this new book? Yeah. Uh, so the artist, his name is Isaac Perez. Um, he's uh, he's from uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Um, he's a digital artist. He's I don't know if he's released anything officially. Um, I think he's fairly new. I haven't really, you know, I should know more about that. I, I just haven't really, you know, asked him about what he's done, um, you know, publishing wise. I just saw a lot of his work and thought it would be perfect for this type of story we're trying to tell. So uh, he's doing the art. It's a noir story. So it's in uh, black and white. There are some colors uh, in it, but very, very sparingly uh, and used only in certain scenes. Um, yeah. So, so it's uh, black and white and he, he does a really cool job um, doing the, the grayscale on it. Um, that was one reason why I, I really liked uh, his work and working with him. Uh, so he's on the art. So he's the only person doing the art. And then I have DC Hopkins on the letters. So it's just us three. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the, the preview pages. Um, and I saw that sort of uh, black and white with a with a splash of, of, of color. Um, how much, uh, you know, some of the coloring choices, uh, you know, with this being a horror film, it's or a horror, you know, base, you know, there's, there's, you know, some splashes of red, but um, how much did you sort of play into because I'm looking at uh, what I believe is page one um there's like an orangish hue there did you did you play into like uh what color choices were, were made there or did you leave that up to 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 the artist yeah we played around with it the original color was going to be purple mm -hmm. um because we wanted it to, I wanted this otherworldly feel to it and then I was also thinking about green um so after I saw it on the page, it just wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I wasn't getting the, it wasn't feeling right. Um, and we actually, I think the one you have, we might've even updated it again. It has more of a glow to it. Um, more of like a, more like a caution glow mm -hmm. uh, on the, on the pages that uh, we'll eventually print. Um, but we, we messed around with a few different colors and um, what, what I was initially going for is I wanted this otherworldly feel because it was, it's obvious, it's a Lovecraftian book. And so there, we're dealing with old gods and tentacled monsters and things like that. Um, and so I wanted that feel. But what, when we decided to go with, when I saw it on the page, it just wasn't fitting the tone or the mood right. And uh, we had some conversations. I was like, well, what's going on psychologically isn't fitting with the, when someone, you know, looks at purple, like that's just not what, what you get. And so really it's caution you know, when you see orange, it's caution and, and be worried and, you know, all those things. So we went, we ended up going with orange and I like the way it looks a lot better with orange, mm -hmm. um, that orange hue, because it gives more of the, what's going on in the book, the tone of the book. And, uh, one of the things I noticed about it, 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 it has that feeling of like Providence or ne Neonomicon and you, you went, you have a, on the pages that you've provided us, you have a, a very like nine panel grid, um, composition even when there aren't nine panels on the page and uh, I find it interesting to see this sort of straightforward maybe more formal type of comic book composition in pages versus like what I've I saw with Man of Sin which is very abstract shapes no real like geometrical or symmetrical images or anything like that it's all very expressionistic and things so 
was that just coming with the noir territory that you were you wanted to play with something a little more cinematic or a little more I guess uh, not not prototypical but sort of I guess traditional in in a sense man that is that is such a great question and um for Man of Sin, Man of Sin, it's um, purely a psychological, um, psychological horror book, and mm-hmm. so um, Camilo did a great job of establishing that and the boundaries of that um, in Man of in, in the pages, right? Um, like there's there's some points where you don't know what's up or down or left or right, and it mirrors what our character is going through psychologically. Um, and Camille did an absolute amazing job. Um, for Forgotten Hymns, it's very much, um, it, it's very much a, uh, a character-driven drama set with a lot of horror kind of background. And so I wanted to get as much mileage out of the characters as I possibly could in the amount of space. and after talking with the artist, he wanted, he wanted to do kind of a traditional nine panel grid. And I think it works really, really well with what we're, there's a lot of, a lot of conversations going on, a lot of, um, a lot of really quiet, um, kind of deep moments, because it's a, it's a very, it's a very heavy book. Um, and some of the, the, the theme, like the, the tone, the overall kind of, um, you know, themes of it is, are pretty heavy. And so we wanted to um, not gloss over that and just kind of really take our time with, with how we told the story. And so um, I thought Isaac, you know, Isaac did a, did a absolutely amazing job. He's been awesome to work with. And also they're, they're two props, like working with those artists, actually all three of the artists, um, Donna as well, like their, their processes are so different. Like Camillo, uh, I would just kind of just like, hey man, just do you like I think the less I told him the better the page got like by our fourth script it was just like whatever you want to do here's what I need do you man I'll figure it out and like he just like we just went crazy like there's some pages in there that are like complete paintings almost (laughs) it's like it's it's pretty wild um whereas Isaac is the complete opposite like uh, Camila really likes to work a little kind of more leans heavier like probably 70% Marvel style does she need to know like what's kind of some of the panels and it's the complete opposite with Isaac Isaac is like I want panel page everything I want it down to a T I'll deviate it from from it if I need to but I, I really like a pretty rigid script so it was kind of interesting to kind of see how that works how that all kind of um, how different those artists are that is interesting. Yeah, it's it looks like right up my alley because I'm a huge Alan Moore fan, and it, it looks to seem to try to capture the tone of some of his more recent things, which are are, are really good. It's like really good stuff. Yeah, I I, I love that you mentioned Neonomicon and Providence. Those were two um, definitely definitely influences on this book, as well as uh, uh, Fatal from uh, Brubaker and Sean yeah. uh, Phillips. Those are probably the three books I was reading. Uh, the most while I was coming up with this I usually um, I don't know if everyone does this but when I get into kind of writing mode I go to my 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 favorite kind of books and and read them while I'm writing Um, 
and it's for one to get inspiration and two to not do what's in them and that make like not not to redo the wheel um and so i i know um probably neonomicon and and what's in neonomicon because it's pretty pretty heavy stuff there man uh I think Matt reads that to his kids every night. I mean, it's not that heavy, right? Well, it's the, it's the, my daughter's going to do the fourth grade uh, book report on the Anomicon this year to get the, get the, get the stairs that uh, Andrew got from, from, from his. That is uh, is amazing. There's a part where she's going to say, there's a part where a monster comes out of a swimming pool and then uh, there's, uh, there's some other stuff going on. Yeah, the the grown folk happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, but forgotten him. It, no, it's not at not not full on uh, monster from a swimming pool, uh, <laughs> sex dungeon. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's definitely more leans more that way yeah. than um, than fatal does. But it, we, t- you know. I, I read, I liked uh, Fatal, if I'm saying it correctly. Um, I really liked that because it was the first time um, I saw noir in a very traditional sense and Lovecraft, at least to my knowledge, done um, really, really well. Um, and so I knew I wanted to marry those two worlds. And so I wanted to see how it was done, the, the steps that they took. And so I could learn from themselves their steps and then not rehash that in mind um so that was that was probably um in neonomicon probably the first two chapters of that which was the courtyard i believe that was when it was originally released that was probably um of that that's probably the more influence I, i really like that 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 story of it definitely influenced this a lot more so than the monster coming from the swimming pool in the sex dungeon. Uh, but we have our own sex dungeons, right? We're doing it a little different on Forgotten Him. I was uh, hoping so. I was hoping you would say that. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. It'll, it'll yeah. help me sleep at night, knowing that there will yeah. be a sex dungeon. In this. You know, you know, I have a daughter, and when she hits the fourth grade, she's got to do her book report on something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give it back to you, Matt, but I had one more question because of something you said in there, talking about marrying two genres. And that was something I was thinking about the other day, about what's, how do you come up with stories? And uh, I was thinking about myself, just sort of what, what, what kind of stories do I like to tell, especially like, you know, when you get down to like sort of the elevator pitch to yourself, like what, what's the story you want to tell and marrying two genres. And I, and I was just sort of thinking about like, do you, do you sort of like lean towards something where like you, you see a, like you, you find a certain genre and you're like, I want to see more of that. So that's what I, I, I write for. Or is that sort of how you would say your approach is, or is it more from a story level first? Uh, story level first probably but um so in a in a nutshell um so my my take on story is is this if we're talking story just purely you know um what you know the the story of the page the plot the characters all that jazz when you go out to tell a story at least this is what i believe it is the the writers and creators chance to tell the world their version of how the world should live. And so um, for me, I, I wish I could write, um, you know, 
politicals, or I wished I could write this, or wherever you want to slice the, the pie. I just, you know, I wish I could write comedies or, 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 or romances. I, I just, I, that's just not what I'm drawn to. I like, I like, you know, consuming that, but I just don't have stories for that. Where my stories usually come from, much like um, Man of Sin, it's from the domestic, right? It's something that is very, um, very, very family oriented, um, very, you know, um, how families operate. I, I usually, you know, all of my things are, deal with, with the domestic of some sort. So just it's to start off, it's there, I see some sort of problem in a domestic situation of some sort. And I want to tell the world the right way to live in that situation. For Man of Sin, it was about how to deal with trauma in your family. For Forgotten Hymns, it's how to deal with a bad parent. And so um, that is kind of where it all, if I had to get to the root of it, that's where it kind of starts. And so, but before I ever really get there, where the story, you know, you have tons of stories all the time. Like you'll see something and be inspired and they'll pop in your head. You're like, oh, that's a cool idea. But then when you start thinking about it, like it has no legs, right? And so for me, when a story finally has legs, I get to that domestic thing, right? That, you know, Madison didn't have legs until I married those two ideas together, very much so with uh, forgotten hymns. I didn't know. I knew I wanted to do this Lovecraft thing. I, I wanted to play in this Lovecraft world, but I didn't have my take on it. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I didn't have a story. I had images and ideas in my head. But once I kind of started digging into the, the you know, what I like to talk about, my what I'm going to contribute, you know, to the world, you know, the way I want to, you know, the world, the way I think the world should be. Once I figured that out, then it had legs. And so then everything started kind of coming together. The noir part um, really came out of, as I was playing with the story, the type of story I just found it leaning more towards. Um, originally, when I first came up with this, it was in the future and it was sci-fi. And as I was writing and, and creating the headspace, it had more and more kind of crime tones, more and more um, kind of that seedy, um, you know, people not really doing what they should, underbelly of the world type of feel to it. And so I dialed it back further and further until I got to, you know, oh, this is, this is a noir thing. Um, and so then once I married those two together, I had to think of what's my angle uh, you know, Lovecraft has done so many ways. What's my angle with Lovecraft and his monsters that hasn't been done before? And I think we came up with, um, you know, uh, a pretty good and interesting kind of kind of angle on it. That's really cool. Yes, I, I've enjoyed talking, you know, story and process and, and learning more about these stories. Um, as we record this, we're, we're, we're approaching about the, the Halloween time frame, uh, but this book is going to um, launch uh, November 10th. Is that that's correct? And yeah, you have, November 10th. And you, have, you currently have a pre-launch page so on, on Kickstarter. So anybody listening to this, and we'll put a, we'll put a link in the show notes, can go click that notify me button and then on November 10th they'll, they'll get an email 
um, deliver to them. And uh, we'll also put a link to the, uh, the Nightmare Theater um, in there as well. Um, but as we close out, um, you also do a podcast yourself. Do you want to plug that uh, as we uh, as we go out? Yeah, it's uh, it's called Don't Try, Make It Happen. Um, really, originally, um, I just wanted to see, you know, I wanted to talk to other creators, much like you guys are doing, and just kind of see how they um, how they just decided to go from thinking about doing what they're doing to actually doing it. And what it has evolved into, and I probably need to rebrand it, is it is deep dives much like this into the process of writing. Um, it is literally uh, me talking to other creators about the same things you guys are uh, talking about with me. Um, and so I've learned a lot about how to, you guys ask like some really great questions. I'm like, man, I should probably do it that way too. Uh, so uh, you guys did, did a, you know, awesome job. So it's uh, called Don't Try uh, make it happen. And, um, we, this Thursday, we have Richard, the Richard Fairgray, who's a, um, a writer. He's gonna, he has a short story in nightmare theater as well, but he's a writer from New Zealand. If you guys do anything, anything at all, please pick up Blastosaurus. It's a really crazy name. It's about a dinosaur, um, who lives in like an all crime world. It's one of the best comics I've that I've read in a very long time it's just like um it's the most fun like actual fun I've had reading a comic in a very very long time um any um so uh that that episode's uh, coming out and I have a I have a um I have a couple others it's just been a really fun just talking to talking to writers and and listening to their you know um, how they do stuff and and it's just been a lot of fun nice and how about uh your social media and uh you you do you have a newsletter as well what would be the easiest way to uh follow you online and and sign up for that newsletter yeah so uh if anyone wants to follow me on twitter it is uh at uh andrew gildy uh that's andrew and then g-u-i-l-d is a david e is an elephant want to follow me on instagram that is at a gildy so A-G-U-I-L-D is in David, E is an elephant. And then uh, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, you can just go to agildy.com forward slash free comic. Um, if you sign up for our exclusive fan list, you're going to get the newsletter. Um, you're going to get a column every Wednesday um, called Behind the Page that I um, pretty much talk comics in all of its forms uh, with a good another writer of mine. His name is uh, Alex Green. Um, so every Wednesday we come out with another episode. Uh, it's on a different topic every every week. So that's kind of um, long form if you want to sit and read. If you're you know on the subway, a bus, you know in class, you don't want to listen to your teacher, read that. Um, and then uh, Thursday you get the podcast before it comes out, before it's released. And then Fridays I do top five Fridays along with I'm giving out um, you know free samples of my book behind the scenes material so if you go and if you sign up for the fan list you get man of sin issue one for free so that's aguildy.com forward slash free comic okay so as well as the 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 pre-launch page for for forgotten hymns the kickstarter link for the nightmare theater we're going to have links to all of that stuff um, in the show notes to make it as easy for folks to find that but uh i'm really excited about this book uh i, I can't wait for the 10th so that i can uh hit that uh 
backing button. Um, and I encourage everybody else to do that. Uh, Andrew, I had a, a great time talking to you. Um, I think uh, I think this is twofold. You got to tell your story and I got to take a little couple of tools and add those to my uh, creative tool belt. So I really enjoy that. Yep, same here. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks guys, Thanks, guys man. I had a, I had a blast. I, I really appreciate uh, coming on and thank you guys. It was awesome. Awesome. Thank yeah, we, we appreciate it. And you have a, you have an open invite uh, when, when more issues come out or any other projects, we'd love to have you back on. Um, for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we are on Twitter at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructed Comics Pod. Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics. Uh, also, check out the Kickstarter for Dino Thrashers. Uh, Noah is the the artist on that, and I'm helping out as the publisher. And also, I guess uh, I forgot to, to do this before, but Noah and I also have a story in the Great, uh, Great Commandment anthology. We did a story called Tablets. Um, we like to pitch it as uh, they live with with iPads. Um, yeah. So that that's also um, that's also on Kickstarter. So we're gonna have links to all of Andrew's stuff and our stuff in the show notes. But uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please uh, be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>